Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Welcome into the show. Always good to be talking Pats football with Henry. And uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever works best for you. And we appreciate you subscribing. Henry, Sam Darnold still seeing ghosts against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Huh? I mean, I was looking at your... Your post-game stuff on Patriots Wire, you had this amazing stat where Darnold has now thrown one touchdown compared to nine interceptions in his six matchups against the Patriots and Belichick. That is an insane stat. And I, you know, I, I got to pat myself on the back because I saw this coming, right? I was like, Darnold coming out of the concussion protocol against Bill Belichick, like the Patriots were a predictable uh, victor, I guess, going into last week. And it, it definitely played out that way. Thanks to Belichick and his defense. Sam Darnold has appeared against the Patriots four times. His teams have played against the Patriots seven times. At no point has he ever gotten a win over Bill Belichick and the Patriots. It has not been good. He actually, no. I can't remember what all the reasons were when he missed three games against the Patriots uh, when he was with the Jets, probably injury-related. But yeah, he's he's just been atrocious as an opponent of Bill Belichick. And, like, just generally speaking, not a very good quarterback anyway. But, yeah, particularly awful. Anytime he sees a Bill Belichick's defense, he's in a haunted house. This goes everywhere. Uh, but I think it was a product of, of really good holistic defense where, you know, you just had this, this pass rush uh, hurrying his decisions, disguising the front. I mean, everything was disguised. Everything was was not what it seemed. And, and the Patriots can trick Sam Darnold like better than anyone else. You get a feeling that Belichick um, really loves drawing up these game plans against Darnold, right? He's like, oh man, this yeah. this is really going to confuse the kid. You know, it's like, right. he just like relishes the moment. And it's different every time. Like this was a, a zone heavy game for Steve and Bill Belichick. But in years past, they've run man heavy uh, defenses in coverage. So, it doesn't really matter what they do. They know how to confuse him. And it helps that guys like Jamie Collins and Matthew Judon and, you know, Devon Godshaw and Christian Barmore, that, that whole group. Mr. INT there, JC Jackson. And you know, yeah, be. those guys are forcing, you know, quick decisions and then they're bad decisions to intercept or numero uno, which is JC Jackson had two interceptions on the game. Just a, a ball hawk. I mean, he. Everybody uses that phrase, but he it just he just is. I mean, the the best example was actually I would think the second interception. Sam Darnold uh, rolls to his left, and he kind of just makes a throw that's not like coaches wouldn't really teach it. Like only Patrick Mahomes, you know, 
is, is like okayed to make that throw. If you're rolling to your left and you're trying to get it over the defensive back who's actually in position, JC Jackson was in position. I think it was DJ Moore was the intended target in the back left corner of the end zone. But Sam Darnold doesn't have enough arm strength on the move going across his body to get it out there. So he underthrows it, and JC Jackson's just in perfect position. Would have had to ask Sam Darnold to make the perfect throw, which he never does. It's just like good fundamental football. And, you know, he, he basically, you know, seals the game. Not that it was particularly close at any point. The Panthers' offense was just so just stumped. <laughs> like, I, I haven't seen a defense, an offense be so, like the Jets. Obviously, we expected to be unable to move the ball, but the Panthers came into this game four and four, just like the Patriots. So for a team that's supposedly average to have their starting quarterback and their starting running back, and really, they're, I mean, for the most part, their starting offense, they, for them to be unable to move the ball like that, I mean, it was a true testament, I think, to the Patriots' defense, just how far they've come this year. They really are, you know, I was knocking them earlier this season for being unable to make that clutch stop. And they're doing that. They've done that for the last, going back to the Texans game is what I'm thinking, where they had that great fourth quarter, full game against the Jets, um, and then, you know, a good performance against the Chargers and now and now the Panthers. So big progress for them. Yeah, no, the defense has been great. And uh, I, I actually, it was not, it was another game, Henry, where it wasn't a big Mac Jones game. But one thing I liked about their game plan on offense, going into this game, I wasn't really worried about Sam Darnold. And then, Pre-game, everyone's talking about how Matt Rule is like, oh man, Belichick, he, he's like loves Belichick. Belichick's his like guy he looks up to him like, oh boy, we, we can tell where this game's going, right? And fanboy Matt Rule loves him some Bill Belichick. But I was interested in how the Patriots would handle the speed the Carolina Panthers have on defense. We saw it a little bit. They were in the backfield. They did disrupt a little bit. Um, and we can get to the big play that's been talked about uh, ad nauseum here in a little bit. But I kind of liked the idea of having Ramadre Stevenson active in this game and actually giving him the football, right? Like, we talked about how much speed the Panthers have. Well, go ahead and smack him in the mouth and give him Stevenson, right? And Damian Harris. And the running backs got 33 carries in this game. They gave Stevenson 12 touches. That catch he had, that 44-yard catch was a huge play in the game. Like, that game plan, the smash mouth element of it, I know it wasn't a big Mac Jones game, but... That power versus speed thing, I don't know. That was maybe the football nerd in me. I thought that was kind of good. I, I like that. It's It shows why the Patriots drafted a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, why they like having that big back on the roster. Because Damian Harris is sort of like called. The, it was He was for years, for the last few years, considered the big back on the roster. But he's not that big of a running back. He, I think he's 210, 215 pounds. Versus Stevenson, who's who's more like 225, 230. And that that difference is huge in the NFL, which is getting lighter and lighter every year. So to have him in the game is big uh, because Bill Belichick likes to have guys who seek out contact and who like to wear away the opposing defense physically. Because, like, we forget, at least, you know, I'll speak for myself, but these guys are human. Like they may seem like action figures on the field because they're insanely athletic, but they get tired and they have bruises and they have bumps and twisted ankles and tweaks and strains and all that. 
And when you have a back as big as, and as bruising as Ramondre Stevenson on your roster, and he's in a rotation, so he's actually fresh for most of the game. Every time he touches the ball, he's like itching to prove himself. When that's the case, like how badly do you really want to hit him? How, you know what I mean? Like he's a, he's, a, he's a tough force in the open field. And it helps too that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. That was, that was an exciting element of his game in college. And, and I knew it would, as soon as he could protect the quarterback, because that's kind of your ticket to third down in New England is you have to play pass protection. Once you do that, you can catch the ball. So apparently he's at that point and for him to have 12 touches and 106 yards, and it won't be like that every week, but the fact that they have that at the ready um, is huge. So I expect, you know, he got a concussion this week and he missed practice on Wednesday. So we'll see if he and he and Damian Harris are in the same boat, both have concussions. We'll see what happens on Sunday, but I think they'll, they'll use him more and more as an end zone back because he's so big and, because he can both run and catch, it makes him makes it more of a question mark as to what they'll do on any given play. And then in fourth quarter, he'll probably be a guy that they use to chew clock and grind away at sort of the defense's will to win. Yeah, I just I, I like him. I'm glad he's out of the doghouse. I know he, he had a couple fumbles early and he was probably in the doghouse for a little while. We saw a little bit of JJ Taylor being up for some games, but I just as that game went on and they started plowing it forward with, with Stevenson, I'm like, oh, I, I like this game plan because, you know, I mean, the big talking point was Hassan Reddick, Brian Burns kind of trying to tee off on the Patriots average tackles. I don't think the Patriots have the best offensive line play in the league. It was, it was a strength. It was one of our strengths that we wanted to see Henry coming into the year. But I don't think the offensive line and the tackles in particular have been great this year, maybe average at best. So I love I love the game plan. Love seeing Stevenson. And the Patriots just beat up on the Panthers, right? The offense beat up on the Panthers, the defense. Even Mac Jones. Mac Jones beat up on the Panthers. Uh, So Mac Jones is in the news. There's a nice little headline on Patriots Wire, and you can find it all over the place. There's one play everybody's talking about from this game. I want to get Henry's take on it right after this. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Welcome to week 10 of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to talk to you about strong plays as we approach the playoff push. It hasn't been pretty since week one for Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence in his debut season, but he has a chance for redemption against the Indianapolis Colts in week 10. Yes, he has no more than one passing touchdown in each game since week one, and his weapons are suspect, but the Colts offense is doing enough to force him into a pass-happy script. The Colts have given up huge numbers to quarterbacks in 2021, including a league-high 23 touchdown passes. Last week, even the Jets were able to shred this group through the air. Only one team has yielded more fantasy points per game, and this is the third-best opponent to face for yardage. Playing Lawrence is risky, but the matchup is brilliant. Washington football team running back J.D. McKissick versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. On the ground, this matchup is awful. Both teams return from their bye, but a common byproduct of being such a stout run defense is a team usually gives up serious volume to pass-catching backs. In the last five weeks, this defense ranks fifth in receptions allowed per game to the position. A dozen teams have yielded more aerial yards per game in that time frame, and three touchdowns of the last 29 receptions faced by running backs makes a pretty compelling case to play McKissick. He's a sound RB2 in PPR this week. Wide receiver 
Russell Gage, Atlanta Falcons at Dallas Cowboys. Only 11 teams have given up more catches per game than the Cowboys to wide receivers in the last five weeks, and this is the third highest rate for touchdowns against by the position. Dallas's offense is poised to rebound after what we saw last week, which should promote more passing by Atlanta. The matchup profiles for a stronger day by Gage than it does for tight end Kyle Pitts, and while Atlanta's de facto wide receiver one is risky business in fantasy, he is coming off an eight-target game and has scored at least 13.4 PPR points in two of his last three outings. Don't expect a huge day, but there's definite wide receiver three utility here in PPR scoring. Minnesota Vikings tight end Tyler Conklin at Los Angeles Chargers. He's a fine fantasy play in Week 10 as the Bolts have given up the third most yards per game to tight ends, 77, since Week 4 on the 18th most catches. A touchdown every 9.5 receptions sits as the 10th highest frequency against. One caveat here, the health of Los Angeles cornerbacks. In the past few weeks, injuries have enabled opposing wide receivers to have some fun against this defense that's otherwise strong against the position. And Minnesota has obviously very capable wideouts on the outside. That could work against Conklin. However, However, it also enables him to draw single coverage and roam freely. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I definitely thought it was a dirty play. I actually saw and witnessed the play, my, the, the whole, uh, what was happening as I was running, um, seeing him over there. Uh, first, it looked like he was trying to trip or kick Burns, and then next thing you notice, I saw him tugging on Burns' ankle. Uh, I thought it was completely dirty. Um, hopefully, it's something that the league addresses. There's Hassan Reddick talking about this play with involving Mac Jones. Everybody's out there thinking that Mac Jones made a dirty play, and maybe he's a dirty player. What's your What's your opinion after you know after seeing you know the replays of this one? Mac Jones appears as uh, Reddick saying. Appears to twist the ankle a little bit on Burns, holds on to his leg after the strip sack. What do you think about that play? And do you think Mac Jones made a dirty play in that in that situation? I think he made a dirty play, but isn't a dirty player. There are angles where you you can see that unless he has horrific tunnel vision, he should have seen the play continuing down the field. So for those of you who didn't see it or need you know further detail of what happened, Brian Burns comes off the blind side. Mac Jones is dropped back. He fumbles the football. He goes to the ground. Brian Burns then tries to go chase the ball, you know, further down in the Patriots' backfield, starting to return the fumble because they've recovered. And Mac Jones rolls over and grabs Brian Burns by the ankles. But when he rolls over, he's looking downfield, and he can, he should be able to see at that point that there is a whole play going on headed toward, you know, the Patriots end zone. 
So in theory, that's the point where Mac Jones should let Brian Burns go and should, you know, let the play continue. But he didn't. He holds on to Brian Burns' leg and then uh, Brian Burns, you know, kind of falls over and pops to the ground. And it turns out he was injured later in the game, came back, but he didn't practice today. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday. So all in all, it looks bad, honestly. Like, it does not look like Mac Jones was making a safe play. Bill Belichick says that Mac Jones was just making a play on the ball because he thought Brian Burns had the ball. Mac Jones says that he thought Brian Burns had the ball. But I just don't see that that made it much sense on the field, to be honest, at the time. So I think... I think ultimately it was it was the wrong it was a dirty it was just a dirty play. I don't think Mac Jones is a dirty player. I don't think we've seen any other instances where, you know, I think someone I forget who was comparing it to Nadamakin Sue, um, but it's not like that. No. I mean, it wasn't like Mac Jones twisted the ankle of of Brian Burns. Burns just kind of like fell over. Um, but what I didn't see after the play, when Mac Jones realized that Brian Burns, you know, by his own, if this is the narrative that Mac Jones is sticking with, Brian Burns um, supposedly, you know, Mac Jones supposedly thinks Brian Burns has the football. If at that point that's the truth, Mac Jones probably like goes and apologizes or like, you know, pats him on the head and like, oh, I'm sorry. But there was, there didn't really seem to be any interaction there. There, there was no body language of oh, that's my bad. It was just kind of like the play was over. No, 100%. Um, and that actually plays into my take on this a little bit. It's like a two-fold take, Henry, that I want to get your opinion on. Mac Jones has uh, anger issues, right? He seems like the most unconfrontational kid in the world. I don't know if anger issues is the right way to say it, but he's got a thing. When things go wrong, he seems like it doesn't sit well with him for a minute, right? He needs to go and do yeah. his breathing exercises and all this stuff. Right. In the moment... That informs my opinion, too. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. So I think... Yeah, exactly. I think it's exactly what you were saying. I agree with you 100%. I think in the moment, Mac grabbed his ankle and was like, ah, you know, I made a mistake. I got strip-sacked. Ah. And I, I, I'm with you. I think Belichick's response that he was just trying to make a tackle, thought Burns had the ball. I don't know if I'm buying that either. I'm with you, Henry. Here's my other side of this take, though. Brian Burns... Six foot five, two hundred fifty pound defensive end. Did you get your little ankle hurt by Mac Jones? Are you are you okay, Brian Burns? Are you kidding me, Mac? We're talking about Mac Jones here. Come on, man! Like, what are we doing, Carolina? Like, campaigning to what? Get the kid fined or something? It's Mac Jones. I mean, like you said, are we talking about Indomik and Sue? Are we talking about one of the dirtiest players in the league? Is he a dirty player? He's so soft spoken, non confrontational, nice kid. I think he had a bad 30 seconds, right? Or whatever it was. He just had a bad moment. And he you're right. He probably could have helped himself by patting the guy in the helmet and saying, my bad, dude. I just think he reacted negatively for 10 seconds. I don't think he's a dirty player. But come on, Carolina, the, the campaign against Mac Jones and, and just continually being out there in the media that, oh, look how dirty this was. Mac Jones hurt Brian Burns. Are you kidding me? There's no freaking way. Come on. Come on. I'm not buying that, Henry. So that part, of, they lost me on that part. The whole post-game campaign, I'm over that. <laughs> You're, you have more injury conspiracy <laughs> theories than like anyone I've, I've ever known. Well, Name, name yeah, another maybe, one. Come on. The Stefan Gilmore one. I mean, that I guess I was correct. Was like, correct. Yeah. You, well, <laughs> uh, there's, I don't know. We, we've had, you've had some questionable ones through the, throughout the years. But you love my takes. You love my takes. Stop it. <laughs> I, mean, I like this take. Um, 
I, I, I do think he's hurt though. <laughs> I mean, like he didn't practice on Wednesday. That I don't think that would, that would be like a part of a campaign. They, they need that guy practice. You really believe um, that, You believe that Brian Burns got hurt by little Mac Jones. Mac Jones was able to hurt Brian Burns, Henry. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's more about like his own weight. Like his own weight is what brought him down. But yeah, yeah so he hurt, I mean, he hurt himself. Do... Yeah, he hurt himself. Fluke play. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm twisting my own words. Uh, but yes, I think the whole campaign of like the criticism extended beyond Carolina. There were players on like the Bills. There were players all over who just like came out on Twitter calling out Mac Jones and. It was like it was like a little much. I, don't, <laughs> I didn't really yes, see a yes. point in in that. It was one play. Anything that has to do with the Patriots, the controversy becomes exponential. So I think that's kind of why this has escalated to the level that it does. Now, if Mac Jones has another dirty play over the next few years, then I think you know the discussion is is sort of warranted. But fair, but, a, but a guy like this who kind of it seemed like he just lost himself for a moment, like you said, something he he kind of has a habit of doing, like getting lost in his emotions, whether it's post game or on the sideline, or in this case on the field. Um, but but it's so it's a question of of a maturity issue and whether he can get over that i think that's it yeah and, and you mentioned bills players and bills players are out there tweeting about mac jones they got bigger things to worry about over there in buffalo losing to the jacksonville right. jaguars yeah, and ruining my survivor mess. pool chances you freaking bills oh unforgivable actions losing to the jacksonville jaguars scoring six points i'll never forgive the bills for that uh but that brings me to my next little topic for you henry is that the the afc playoff pitcher it's kind of wide open right like the titans and the ravens are at the top of it right now i don't really believe in either of those teams the chargers are number three i don't believe in them the bills like like i like i just said you lost to jacksonville i have to be out on you now the raiders dumpster fire over there in vegas the steelers it's hard to believe in them their defense is good i mean they just keep on winning these weird low scoring games all the time and then that brings us to the freaking patriots wait a minute the patriots they're in the playoffs they're the number seven seed if the playoffs were to start today the patriots they're five and four the bills are five and three i i cannot believe what is happening here, Henry? Like all of a sudden I, I saw the standings and I'm like, oh no, I can't blissfully watch the games with zero expectations and just hope Mac Jones can play and we have a, we have a future. I actually have to invest. I have to, I have to turn off the red zone channel now on Sundays and invest and like dive into the pregame and postgame and just dive in and fully invest as a fan again, because the Patriots are right in the thick of this thing all of a sudden, right? Like I don't even know if I'm happy about this. I now have to change my whole routine on Sundays and fully invest. And I think that's where Patriots fans are at. <laughs> it's a, such a spoiled, like, <laughs> like if it's Jacksonville, if it's Detroit, even if it's Cleveland, like they're stoked, you know, that they have this moment. They would be stoked to have yeah. this level. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I've been enjoying have. the, re- I've been enjoying the red zone. Yeah. Channel. I'm annoyed. I have to invest. Meanwhile, in a New Hampshire, New Hampshireian is furious that they have to dedicate and get emotionally involved in Sundays. But yeah, I mean, it does feel a little bit like the AFC is parting, you know, like the Red Sea, got a little Moses action for for the Patriots where they just show up and everything moves moves open for them. I, I feel as good about the Patriots as I do about any team in this conference right now, and that's scary. Right. Yeah, and... I think a part of that is the upside that we've been talking about for weeks now. I always get a little bit in trouble, I think, 
at midseason where I think the team is going to end up being a little bit better than they actually do end up being. So I'll be a little bit more conscious of it this year. But, you know, in years past with Brady and Belichick and, and like, you know, this rotating cast around them, you kind of got the sense that they would keep building, right? And in 2019, it didn't really materialize. Definitely in 2020, it didn't materialize. But this year's team, I do think, has more room to grow. I kind of question whether Mac Jones is going to hit another level this year. A part of my Super Bowl recipe that I explained weeks ago, months ago, for the Patriots involved Mac Jones playing at sort of like a top, like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, That's kind of where I imagined if him he's, getting by. If he's been on a trajectory, Henry, as we've been talking about. I don't know if he's in like a downswing, but he's definitely not on that same plane that we, right. we saw him on, right? From the preseason and from week to week to week. He's yeah. definitely, it's definitely changed over the last couple of weeks. He, he reminds me of like Kirk Cousins right now. Like he looks like he's developing into Kirk Cousins. Gross. Like he's playing. I don't like the Which sound like, of that. Which like, yeah, I mean, right. And, and like, it's way too early to really know if that's what's going to happen. But like, that's kind of where in my mind, Mac Jones might be at the end of year one is like Kirk Cousins territory. So, can the Patriots defense carry a quarterback of that caliber? I think we'll kind of see once we get to the two games against the Bills later this season, the game against the Titans later this season. There's this average run, this run of mediocre teams the Patriots have. And they really should come out, I think, like seven and four, right? They should win this week against the Browns. They should win next week against the Falcons. That's a seven and four team. And then they come to that run that includes the Titans, the Bills, um, two times over the course of the yeah. following yeah. four two, weeks. Two times in four weeks, right? Yeah, it's crazy how that works. It's like, right. why can't we get them once at the beginning and once at the end? I don't know. Two times in four weeks. Yeah. Is kind of, it's kind of crazy. If the Patriots defense really shows that they're able to carry the offense through those kinds of games... It, it does bode well because, you know, the postseason is a, it, it gets colder and offenses are quite as dominant being a, a ground and pound defensive focused team, especially if somehow the Patriots end up playing some postseason games in New England, which that might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But but it, I mean, like you were saying, like, you know, who, who else are you going to bet on kind of rising up these rankings? The Chiefs certainly have a good chance and. And there are other kid candidates, but I think the Patriots, they just, you know, it, it, there's, I just, I just wonder how much upside Mac Jones presents basically. And I'm not totally impressed by what the supporting cast is bringing. That's interesting analysis. And I love Henry, how you bring in the weather, and the wind, and Foxborough late in the season. That's just, <laughs> I love, I love that. You get me fired up. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's an interesting time to be in the AFC. The Patriots are right there in the mix. They're one of like nine teams with five wins right now. And uh, one of them is the Browns. The Patriots host the Browns this weekend. So the line has been moving all over the place for a variety of reasons. And Henry and I will tackle that coming up next. This is the typical sports book minute. Let's make this interesting. What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slippin' Podcast presented by Sportsbook Wire. 
HandicapHomie.com. I'm here with my handicapping homie Nathan Beagle to break down this week's Sunday Night Football matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Chiefs favored minus 2.5. Their money line is minus 145, so Raiders are plus 120 to win that game outright. The total's 51.5. I'm on the Raiders plus two and a half. Um, I think we get some value after they had an absolutely pathetic performance at the New York Giants last week, and I don't think enough is being made of the struggles of the Kansas City offense and the mediocrity or just terribleness of their defense. Nate, how do you see this game playing out? See, I'm on the under. The public is on the over. The cash is on the under. I got Chiefs and Raiders both 15th and 16th in points per game. I'm going under 52 and a half. That was your Typico Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Henry, my opinion on this line, on the Tipico app, I was looking at it earlier this week, the Patriots were only a half-point favorite. It was basically a pick at home against the Browns, and honestly, I was leaning Browns. Just my gut instinct was to lean Browns. Just uh, that defense the Browns have scares me a little bit. Miles Garrett, Davian Clowney, uh, just them getting after a rookie quarterback, and then the Browns running running attack with Nick Chubb is just excellent. And I'm a huge Nick Chubb fan. I think he's like he just weaves through the defense in a ridiculous way and just picks up yards. He's just hard to stop. So I didn't like that combination coming into New England. And as you were saying, I just don't think the Patriots. They're winning, but they have not put it all together at all. And so it's like, will they put it together against Cleveland? Maybe, but I wasn't convinced. I was kind of on the Browns earlier in the week, but the line has now shifted. The Patriots are now favored by two and a half uh, on Tipico, and that's because Nick Chubb is in the COVID protocol and is highly questionable for this week. I think the Browns only have one running back available if the game was going to be played right now, and that's Dearness Johnson. So if Nick Chubb is out, I think that changes the whole scope of this, of this game, right? This matchup. If the Browns don't have their, their stud running back, a lot of what they want to do on offense is kind of predicated on that attack and Nick Chubb. So without Chubb, and we know Kareem Hunt's on the IR, I think I like the Patriots if they're going to be down some key personnel on offense. But what's, what's your opening take on this matchup? Last week, Baker Mayfield gets motivated by Odell Beckham leaving town. Baker plays better without Odell Beckham. Funny how that works, right? Funny how that works with human nature, right? Right. Like statistically speaking, uh, Baker is much better. It's there's actually a massive sample size because Odell's suffered so many injuries in Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, there's the emotional come up too of Baker wanting to prove that Odell leaving town was like Odell's problem, not the Browns problem. And I get that. Also get that that only probably lasts for about a week and then they'll come down to earth and be themselves again. 
and the Browns are an average team. And I think the Patriots are, are just edging past, like, you know, the above average territory right now. And like you said, Kareem Hunt's not coming back from IR. Um, Browns coach Kevin Stefanski confirmed as much. Nick Chubb is probably not going to practice this week. Um, so if he does play, he's vaccinated, so he's eligible to play. But if he does play, he's unlikely to have actually been a part of the game plan like yeah. at all, uh, he, at least he, on the he, field. He would have limited snaps, I think. I think they would probably split it. So then there's Dearness Johnson, who, you know, if you're smart, you didn't trade away on, like, I think Sunday, which I did in fantasy football. Oh, yeah, you traded him um, in fantasy? Oh, man. Yeah, I trade. I don't even want to get into it. I, I traded. I've, I traded the uh, Eli Mitchell from the 49ers uh, right, oh, yeah. right before he had his bust out game, and I'm still. Yeah, I'm still sad about that one. It was bad. That man. one stings. Yep. All my teams are like are like good, but not great right now. So I'm hoping that like, for example, I have Odell Beckham Jr. I have I have a few guys, Javante Williams. I, I added those guys with hopes that you know I'd be maybe I could pick up the second half of the season. But anyway. Um, Wednesday's practice for the Browns, they didn't have Jadevian Clowney, they didn't have Miles Garrett, they didn't have Nick Jackson, they didn't have Jack McKinley. Those are like their four playmakers um, in that front seven. And then they didn't have Jarvis Landry, their their top receiver now. So that's, I mean, I don't know if those are like rest days because those are veterans and and they're now like those guys just needed rest or whether that's actually like they're too hurt to play. But that's even more notable, too, that like, yeah, they're missing Definitely. Nick Chubb and may not have him. But then they're also they've also got these four defensive playmakers that are that are out, too. So, you know, I think the Patriots can probably control and win this game. One thing you, you got to see, though, is Mac Jones hold on to the football. The Browns are not that good at taking the ball away, but they had a good week last week. And Mac Jones had a bad one, two turnovers, his only two turnovers in the last three weeks. So Mac Jones holds on to the football, zero turnovers, then the Patriots win. If Mac Jones starts to make mistakes, then that could easily let the Browns into the game. And it's interesting. The total hasn't moved. The total's at 45 and a half. Um, I, I want to lean under. I think that's that's a, seems like a smart bet to go under in this game, especially if there's key personnel like Nick Chubb out. But I am a little worried. Like If the Patriots go in there and just try to run the football at them, Henry... I don't think you're going to have a lot of success. Now, maybe if Miles Garrett's not playing or something, then maybe you do have success. And there are other guys on the D-line. They're really stout against the run, the Browns are. They're pretty good at, they're, they're pretty good defense. And I don't know if you can just line up and run it down their throat. So this feels like it's got to be a game where you let Mac Jones throw it around a little bit if you want to if you want to win. So maybe the Patriots have to come in with a scoring mentality, right? Let Be more aggressive. Uh, be more like that Chargers game. So I'm kind of wondering what the game plan is going to look like. I can't imagine just going to turn around and hand it to Damian Harris all game. I, I I don't know, but my gut instinct is the under, but that is like that doesn't really play into the part that the Patriots might have to come out here and throw it a little bit more. The Browns, at least from um, a yardage standpoint, are kind of in the top, they're like just out of the top ten in yards allowed. So I could see it being like a tight end game. I'd like to see the Patriots make more use of. Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, and if they can work those guys in, you know, we could see that dink and dunk offense that they they like to run when they don't want to lean as hard on their 
it's like, <laughs> what is their offense right now? When they don't want to just run the ball all game, I feel like the offense is dink and dunk and then run a trick play <laughs> exactly. for, for a chunk here and there. But like, I guess that's what they might do in this game because that's kind of what I think might might be advantageous for them. Should be fascinating. Patriots at home against the Browns, my wife's team, the Cleveland Browns. My wife is a Browns fan, so a house divided, Henry. Uh, should be fun. Should be fun. I think I think whoever wins the game is the onesie that the uh, baby gets to wear for the rest of the week, right? So either the Browns onesie or the Patriots onesie. My one month old. Love that. So we'll see. Love hopefully, that. hopefully he's wearing blue. Uh, but for Henry, <laughs> for Henry, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe. We appreciate you all, and we will catch you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.